0: Well, there's nothing that goes better with football than beer, and we're excited to have Golden Road Brewing as one of our newest sponsors for the show. Founded in 2011, Golden Road is Los Angeles' largest craft brewery with brew pub locations across California. Golden
1: Road is excited to celebrate the Kansas City Chiefs with its partnership beer, Kingdom Blonde Ale. Kingdom Blonde is available at local retailers and in the Chiefs
0: Stadium during regular seasons. Golden Road's year-round offerings include Mango Cart Wheat Ale, Wolf Pup IPA, and Fruit Cart Hard Seltzer. Golden Road brewers are constantly experimenting with the freshest ingredients to keep fans' taste buds happy with a collection of rotating seasonals, creative flavors, and classic craft brews. Pick up a
1: case of Golden Road beer at your local store to enjoy before the next game. Visit goldenroad.la slash to buy Golden Road beer now.
2: This is your Olympic hero and former WWE champion, Kurt Angle. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my guys, Clint and Noah. When it comes to covering sports, there is no one better. And believe me, that's true. It's damn true.
1: Gentlemen, you are the top
2: 1%. The elite. Best of the best. You are now listening to the Elite Sports Podcast. Brought to you by Vermeer Wines and powered by GASN Sports. The pinnacle of hard-hitting sports talk. Featuring weekly expert analysis and top-notch interviews. And now, please welcome your hosts, Noah Groniger
1: and Clint Schweitzer.
0: Hello, Clint Schweitzer alongside Noah Groniger here. This is the Elite Sports Podcast presented by the Great American Sports Network Network. G-A-S-N-Sports.com is the website. Please check us out there. All of our interviews, articles, podcasts are all archived there. Noah, here we are, my friend. The time has come. It is what we refer to as the week before the week of the Super Bowl. Chiefs and Buccaneers, it's on. I've been to the World Series. I've been to WrestleMania. But there is one event that surpasses them all. It's Super Bowl 55, and I'm fired up.
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for here in Kansas City. The greatest era in Chiefs football. It is upon us. We are in the midst of it. This is the biggest game in Chiefs history in my mind. I mean, Mahomes has to win this if he ever wants to be considered the GOAT. I mean, if Mahomes has two Super Bowls in his first three years as a starter, while going through and keeping Brady from number seven, he has a real shot to become the GOAT someday.
0: Okay, so on the flip side of this, playing a little devil's advocate because we know – what Tom Brady is. We know what he's done. Nobody could have foreseen at age 42 that he would be in this position and that he would have pieced together this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, put them on his shoulders and gotten to this point. Obviously there's a lot of good players on this team, which we'll get to, but for Tom Brady, does this signify an opportunity to be one of the biggest and most unbelievable sports accomplishments in history for him to get number seven, for him to knock off Patrick Mahomes, the up and comer, to do it in at, at a in a new city with a new team and Bruce Arians as his coach what's on the line here for brady what can he accomplish by winning this game next sunday
1: i mean i think everyone in the sports world is looking at mahomes as the next goat as possibly having a chance to surpass brady and we didn't even think we'd be able to say that for maybe another generation to come and here he is right here while tom brady is still playing in the league But man, you've got to talk about if Tom Brady wins this, he gets number seven. He almost solidifies himself. It's almost makes it impossible for Patrick Mahomes to catch him. And he solidifies himself as the goat that everyone's looking at. I don't think anyone can catch 10 Super Bowl appearances, seven wins out of those 10. I mean, what he did coming to a new team without a proven head coach, he had Bill Belichick. Now he goes to Bruce Arians. He's got some weapons. That's why he came down to Tampa. He's got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Cameron Brait, Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette in the backfield. He's got so much a good offensive line and a defense that has gotten better late in the season. They're starting to create turnovers on the defense. They've got those two edge rushers in uh, Jason Pierre, Paul, and Shaq Barrett. They've got two beasts in the middle that stop the run, so the Chiefs are going to have to try an outside run game. They've got Vita Vey and Ndamukong Sue in the middle. Brady, if he wins this game, he's the GOAT for maybe forever. I don't see how anyone can possibly in, get to 10 Super sports, Bowl appearances. In sports. In sports, absolutely. I mean, Michael Jordan had six. He was 6-0 and oh in NBA Finals. We had Bill Russell in the old days winning 11, but in the modern era of sports, winning seven championships and going to 10, no one is going to be able to surpass that.
0: Well, if anybody... Could be next in line. It is Patrick Mahomes. We've seen what's going on here in Kansas City. It's almost unbelievable to sit here and relish in what's happening. A second straight Super Bowl appearance. Now, what are the emotions going into this for you? Because last year for everybody, for Chiefs Kingdom, it was a ride we hadn't been on before. Now, it's like your second trip back to Disneyland, right? You've already eaten all the overpriced food. You've been to all, all the all the uh, little, little touristy, kitschy little rides. You've done everything. How do you, but, but because the fact that this is Brady, does it magnify this a little bit? I mean, yeah, it's in Tampa, Florida, 20% capacity. It's not going to be full. It's not going to be what we know from the Super Bowl. And it's going to be the weekend performing at halftime. But for, for Chiefs fans, can this be sweeter? Knocking off time Brady, can it be sweeter than the first ride beating the Niners?
1: I think it absolutely is. Last year, we faced Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers. This year, it's Tom Brady. They're playing in their home stadium, Raymond James, down there in Tampa, Florida. And it's the GOAT. This is a chance for Mahomes to take him down. The series between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes is at 2-2 right now. Brady's got the playoff win, the 2018 AFC Championship game over him. Patrick Mahomes has a chance to go up 3-2 in the series. This may be the last time they play unless they meet in a Super Bowl because they're not going to play for another four years in the regular season. So this is it. This is a chance for Mahomes to stake his claim and saying, hey, you better watch out. I'm 2-0. You're 6-4 and four in championships. I'm 2-0, and oh, and I'm coming for that GOAT status.
0: The thing of this is, and when I look at the matchup, and I think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, they're playing their best football right now. Anyone that makes it to the Super Bowl is, in fact, playing their best football right now. But the AFC is so much better than the NFC. I think in a lot of ways the Buffalo Bills are a far superior team to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, with that being said, the Chiefs coming into this game, they're three, three and a half point favorites. To me, that seems like smart money laying on the Chiefs because the Chiefs are far superior to the Cleveland Browns, the Buffalo Bills, they've beaten the Bucks. This is this is has A beatdown written on it to me. This is early on, man. We're going to be talking, coming up with Greg Minuski, our guest, former chief, former NFL defensive coordinator for four different teams, current uh, defensive control analyst for the Kentucky Wildcats. Going to be joining us. We're going to ask him about all this. But early on, when you look at the matchup, to me this says passing of the torch, WrestleMania three, Hulk Hogan slamming Andre the Giant, beating the, you know, old guard knocking off andre the giant who had been around for 20 years hulk hogan's the new fresh face blonde haired kid on the block in wwf he slams andre the torch is passed and it's hulk hogan's going forward and i think that's what we see in tampa next sunday
1: if the chiefs win that's absolutely what it'll be it'll be a passing of the torch to the new guard and the patrick mahomes moving forward But not so fast, my friend. The Chiefs lost Eric Fisher to a ruptured Achilles in that AFC Championship game against Buffalo a week ago. And now we're looking at JPP and Shaq Barrett coming off an NFC Championship game where they wreaked havoc. They came down on Aaron Rodgers, sacked him five times in that game. And now we've got Mike Remmers and Andrew Wiley at the tackles going up against those two guys. Not to mention, they create a good push in the middle with Vita Vey and Ndamukong Sue that are going up against the likes of Stefan Wisniewski and Austin Ryder and Nick Allegretti. So the Chiefs have their work cut out for them on the offensive line facing this defensive front of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if they may want to try and play it straight up to start with, but if that's not working, if they're getting pressure, they're going to need an answer. I feel confident that they will, and they'll have some screens, some quick action, some reverses, just some motion to get their eyes looking different spots. Not sure where the Chiefs are going with the football, but That's the chance for the Bucs to win. If those two outside guys, JPP and Shaq Barrett can wreck the game.
0: Noah, my, you know, my comeback to that is this. The Chiefs franchise did nothing for the last 30 years, but tell us you have to win games in the trenches. We have to spend draft capital and money and free agency on building an offensive line. That's how you win. It's in the trenches. You got to have that offensive line. The Chiefs sure didn't have the best offensive line in 2018. They darn sure didn't in 2019, in 2020, wasn't mattered at all, right? This Chiefs team is built for this to happen. Patrick Mahomes is just what the doctor ordered when it comes to having a below average or even horrendous offensive line, which I don't think we have. I've seen the last few weeks, and now you're going to be without Eric Fisher. We know that he's a stalwart on this line. He's really the only first round pick that Andy Reid has spent on an offensive line, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the way we've built this roster which is spending money at skill position pass rushers obviously now the quarterback and it's paid off in a big way. So is it a big loss? Yeah, it is. If anybody could scheme around this and to to not miss a beat, it's this chief's offense. I've heard all year, Noah, the saints have the best defense. Oh, actually, no, the bills are actually playing the best defense of anyone in the NFL right now. They're going to be a major problem all year. We heard it. Tampa Bay, all I remember about going down there is setting records in the first half against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I expect nothing less in Tampa Bay. The, what's the, what is the prize for a 14-1, and 14-2 and two by, uh, you know, technically football team that's won 25 out of their last 26, been the one seed two out of the last three years? What's that consolation prize? They've never played a road game. Now they get to play a road playoff game against a wild card team. And you know what? If you haven't noticed, this Chiefs team has only but one loss on the road in the last two seasons. This is going to be party time, Noah. You better get ready for it. Get your other ring finger fitted because number 55 is going on uh, the right hand there. I know you're never going to have one on the left hand because that's for something else. So I know (laughs) we're good there.
1: Yes, we (laughs) definitely are. But, man, my friend, I feel it too. I feel like the Chiefs are going to have that answer. But I think you're – overlooking the problems that could potentially be there on that offensive line. We went into the season thinking maybe Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is going to be there. He opts out. We signed Kelechi Osemele. He goes down. Mitch Schwartz goes down, never to return, probably ever again to the NFL. Now Eric Fisher goes down. This is just another blow. They've been able to have an answer every time someone's gone down. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif opts out. Fine. We'll sign Osemele. Osemele goes down. Fine. We found Nick Allegretti. Mitch Schwartz goes down. We've got Mike Remmers. Now Eric Fisher goes down. Are they going to be able to have the answer again? We're not going to know that until February 7th at about 5.30 p.m. Central time, and they better have the answer. And if they don't, they're going to have to have another answer to combat that if they're having problems on the offensive line. I think they will. I think they can. I think they win. But I don't know for 100% certainty they're going to have that answer.
0: Well, let's go to our guest this week. It is with another then former chief, he played for the Chiefs for five seasons from 94 to 99. He ended his career in Kansas City. As part of the Kansas City Chiefs, he uh, really starred on special teams. In fact, Tim Grunhard called him the best special teams player he's ever been around. He's been a defensive coordinator in the National Football League. now he's with the Kentucky Wildcats as none other than our good friend, Greg Minuski. And, well, Greg, we just now, you know, put two and two together. You're coaching down to Kentucky, man. How cool is that?
2: Yeah, it's going awesome, too. Love it. I'm First so glad to I've hear that. We, we yeah,
0: I was going to say you've been around the NFL so much, and uh, which is tremendous, and and now you're down to college. You know, we cover the Missouri Tigers uh, kind of on a daily basis here, and so now we got a division rival in you. We got,
2: hey.
0: some, <laughs> we got, we got some fresh talk a little bit. Missouri finally. <laughs> okay.
2: I don't know anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, we ran the ball, really, really well in that game,
2: Coach Minaske. Yeah, um, you guys did. <laughs> uh well and, and you guys can cut like a offensive line can cut like no other <laughs> well what so
0: you know what's it been like for you because i know that you're you know you're you're, you're still coaching you're, you're at the college level now but i know that you you know the nfl you know this game and you look up and you see the the kansas city chiefs a team that you played for under marty schottenheimer and, and here we are playing in our second super bowl here what's it like for you as a former player to kind of see where the chiefs have, have gotten here
2: well, I can tell you one thing. It was, you know, I never had a real chance because I was playing in the NFL and then, of course, coaching. And I never had a chance really to cheer for the Chiefs. You know, what I'm saying, you know, being in the, the, the places I work that I worked, um, you know, I was I could never really cheer for them because I think it's a taboo. But, you know, <laughs> it's just so good to get it, you know, this past year you know uh, just being able to cheer for him and and watch him and be excited for him because it was a great organization when i was there and it was great uh, to see what they did last year and then what they're going to do this year
1: talk about when you arrived to kansas city in 1994 i mean joe montana's there marcus allen of course Derek thomas the great owner lamar hunt and yeah. our favorite coach of all time marty schottenheimer
2: <laughs> yeah it was it, i i got released by minnesota and then i went back down to florida and i remember uh the Cowboys wanted me and Kansas city. So I went to Kansas city first. They didn't let me out of the, the place. And uh, it was just a great experience. I was there with Dave Adolph and yes. uh, with Marty, of course, and Carl. And was it was Mike just Stock, a, the special
1: teams coach back then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it, maybe I'm on the, I think maybe on my first year, he wasn't there, but I'm not sure on that. But I, I say over the time, uh, me and Mike still keep in touch right now. You know, it's great. He's up in Cleveland and stuff, but it's just, um, it was a great, I mean, <laughs> I remember my wife going to, when we were playing, her first game was when we were playing San Francisco against, you know, Joe's former team. And, you know, there was air, there's jets flying over top. The ca- the crowd was going wild my wife said, this is the best place ever. <laughs> I said, it's never going to be like this ever, you know, again. But, you know, it was just great to um, experience that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the years that I was there, I mean, just the fellowship and, and just getting with the guys that we had on the team. I mean, in the coaching staff, it was just, uh, you know, you felt important, you know, which was great being a player.
0: Well, I think we see such an intangibility about playing with guys like, uh, you know, like Joe Montana or Tom Brady. Now you see him at 43 and just the way that he's been able to shape that team. Did you feel that when you joined the team and then the way was, there, was there something tangibly different about say the way, uh, you know, a way the, the things were presented with, with Joe Montana, than then the next few years you got Steve Bono, Elvis Gerbach, was there just something tangible about Joe's
2: presence on that team in 94? Well, I think big time, you know, from my standpoint, You know, being in the National Football League as long as I have been, it's just, how can I say it right, Uh, is you need a quarterback. (laughs) That is the main thing, you know. I think anybody that's going to win the Super Bowl, I mean, that's a big component of success for any organization. And with Joe there, you knew you always had a chance, you know, because he was a phenomenal quarterback. And, you know, I mean, wherever you've been, wherever I've been, it's vitally important they're hard to find you know in college and stuff but you know you got to have a quarterback that kid can, uh, can have success and you know in this super bowl there's two guys that have had success that play quarterback and that's why they're there
1: Well, a big quarterback uh, kind of battle and decision down the stretch in 1997 for you guys was Elvis Gerbach versus Rich Gannon. Gannon had you guys on a roll down there. And I guess a quarterback doesn't lose his job to injury. A lot of people are saying it was Carl Peterson because Elvis Gerbach was making the money. They said Marty just didn't believe a quarterback, couldn't lose his job to injury. So there's a lot of guessing going around in Kansas City. Was it Marty? Was it Carl? What do you know and how did you feel? Uh, Was it Rich Gannon for you or did you agree with Elvis Gerbach taking over?
2: Well, you got some information there. You know what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> we we've talked to both Marty and Carl
0: about this, so
2: all right. What'd they say?
0: Well, you know both pointing fingers the other way. Yeah, it was okay. kind of one of those deals.
2: <laughs> I think that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put it both ways. Um, all right.
0: Was it was it hard not uh, you know, you you wind up your career in 99. Was it difficult to, to to walk away at that point after a 12-year career and knowing that how how good this franchise was here in Kansas City, your your entire time here, and to not have not to have won a Super Bowl was that difficult?
2: Yeah, I I, for, I knew my career was over. You know, I, it, you know it as a player before the coaches know it. Actually, you know, you're just your body just breaks down, you know, over those years of playing so many years, and, and just going back to that <laughs> that game. Okay, and that was against Denver, correct, that we played that playoff game. Well, this was the thing. This is what I was telling these guys. I said I was going to do this. I was going to I was one of the captains for special teams. So I was going to go out there and spray my hand. All right. My glove with silicone and go out there and shake Elway's hand. And they'll have it on his, you know, because that's slick as anything, you know. (laughs) And I was thinking of doing it, you know just just my ways of thinking of things. I was like, man, I, I think I might do this, you know, and then Rich Gannon used to drive me to work sometimes. And he was like, man, I don't know if I would do that, you know, and we were going back and forth. And I said, I'm going to do it. I don't give a shit, you know, so <laughs> I end up not doing it. And then during the game, it was um the other thing it was the first, second quarter, whatever quarter it was. But, like, Brian Habib, Zimmerman, Loudermilk, all those guys had silicone all over their jerseys, and they had to wipe them down, and then that's when they banned silicone. But I remember there, Alex Gill probably spraying down the players and stuff, but I should have put it on my hand and shaked Elway's hand, and they just got them all slippery and fumbling the ball, but I didn't. That was bad. So are
1: we blaming you for that, 97 loss? Yeah, you are blaming. We <laughs> wish you, <laughs> you would have done it. You should have done it.
2: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I should have done it, right. It would have paid me a little bit more extra money, with, but, with, but, you know, it is what it is.
1: Well, you also played defense. You weren't just a special teamer. You got some games started on the defensive side of the football. Talk to us about Gunther Cunningham. We recently lost him, the great uh, yeah. head coach, defensive coordinator in the NFL, and just a great man. Uh, talk to us about Gunther, who he was as a coach and as a man.
2: Well, I tell you, he did a great job of just educating everybody, you know, from the corners to the safeties to the linebackers, which was basically his room, uh, you know, and just going through, you know, I felt so bad when he passed away. It's like I'm getting older and all these people are dying. And I'm like, hey, you know, hopefully I can take care of myself. But just overall, Gunther was just a, a very good coach, you know, and a good person, you know, and, and the best thing about him was he would get his highs and lows, but he was always direct with you. You know, and you knew where you stood with him. And as a player in the national football back in that time was, you know, you just wanted the truth. They just tell me the truth. okay. you know, you're a backup player. That's what he told me. Okay, well, I'm going to try to excel on special teams and do what I have to do there. And just overall, it was just a, uh, you know, he would banner with you a little bit here and there. And it was just a great situation for uh, the whole team to learn from him. And uh, the knowledge he had was really it was awesome. Well,
0: you're a t- true testament to, in my opinion, hard work, determination, all the things that you have to have because you're, you come in undrafted into the league out of Colgate, Greg, you have right. a 12 year NFL career. What, what was that like for you when you come into the league? A lot of guys come in their they're draft picks. They know they're going to make a roster for you. It was uncertainty out of the gate, man. And yet you were able to parlay that into a 12 year career. How were you able to do that?
2: Uh, a lot of hard work and i'm trying to tell the kids here in kentucky you know it's it's what you put it. if you're going to work for a company you come out of college and you say okay i'm going to work for microsoft well you better know something about computers all right you're going to work for any giant corporation you better know something about the business and it's the same way here with these college players you got to know football if you want to go to the next level and play you got to learn it and you got to know it inside and out and I and I try to tell everybody it's it's you got to work harder than anybody else because I knew they were going to draft somebody in the third round fourth round and you know you got to beat that guy out you know and what I try to do is every day uh, try to get better watch what was going on in the field when I wasn't playing you know I was on the sidelines and you know whatever the call was it was always going through my head and then you know basically i learned football from monty kiffin and tony dungy i mean those two individuals taught me the game of football and where all the pieces fit and uh when i was in minnesota and then you know just parlayed that into doing the same thing in in kansas city it was a backup player i knew where i was and i knew i was my hay was playing special teams you know and trying to make plays in the special teams unit but you know overall you know, it was just a, a good career, but you know, once that twelfth year came around, I knew it was over. My body was just broken down, and uh, I didn't have any any juice like I used to have.
1: Well, you've moved on into the second career as a coach, and just tell us what Marty means to you in that sense, because he gave you your first break as a coach in the league in two thousand one as a linebackers coach for Washington. And then that same role with the Chargers when he moved over there the next year.
2: Yeah, I mean, just a great coach. I mean, uh, he broke it down so well, you know, like on Mondays or Tuesdays when we were in there on a Wednesday or whatever it was, he gave you a game plan, which was great. He said, okay, this is what we got to do from a defensive standpoint. This is what we got to do special teams wise. And then what we have to do offensively. And the best thing is he presented to all the the players and he told you, this is how we're going to win the game. Either, you know, we, we got to get a couple interceptions or fumble recoveries or we got to get a possession on special teams. It could be, he was always talking about field position and where the ball was in turnovers. And uh, he gave it to you on um, You know, on those Tuesdays or Wednesdays. And he said, here's the plan. And then you played the game. And if you had success, nobody really gave a shit what the plan was, <laughs> all right? But the best thing was, when he came back the next week, he says, I told you this was the plan, you know, or, you know, we gave up too many touchdowns or the offense turned the ball over or whatever it might've been, you know, he gave you a script to say, this is what we need to do. And yet, as a player, you felt, all right. He gave us the plan on Monday or Tuesday. You know, we didn't execute that plan when it came on Sunday. And, uh, I think he had a lot of success with that plan going through his whole career. And, uh, it was just great to you know, especially for me as a former player with him, uh, him and then all of a sudden being a coach with him. I mean, it was Marty Ball now. I am <laughs> I remember that first time we were in Washington and we were up in Car- Carlisle. He would watch the offense. And then after that, he would come over to the defense. He was a night guy. So at night, he would just watch film all the time. So it was like 1230 at night. Okay, and then he came in and we started the meeting. I was like, what the what <laughs> are you kidding me? I gotta go to bed, bro. I'm tired. <laughs> and then we started watching one-on-ones with the DBs. I'm a linebacker coach. I don't need to know that shit. <laughs> <laughs> And we it was heard just, that
1: Daryl Green didn't take kindly to him, like coming over and talking about the details, these tiny details of his game. He's like, man, I'm an all pro. I've been at this forever. What are you doing, Marty?
2: Well, that's, uh, just it was amazing the time. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is forever. I thought I was literally going to die for not getting any sleep. But, <laughs> you know, afterwards you kind of calmed down a little bit. But it was just, I mean, the time that he spent uh, offensively and defensively it was it was important to him every day that he was at work, you know, and then even after games and stuff. When I was down, uh, especially coaching with him, I mean, he'd look at me and go, "You got to move on, bro. <laughs> you know, you got to move forward. <laughs> You're going to have some losses in the National Football League, you know." And I was like, "Okay." So I kind of took that at heart, and then uh, my career after uh, being away from Marty, you know, it, it took its own little brand of. Know trying to do exactly what he did and how he was so meticulous, though. I remember handing out sheets of paper with like wording that was wrong, and he'd circle it. And I was like, What the what do you okay? The is not spelled. He goes, Hey, that's grammar, you gotta make sure that's spelled right. And I was like, What are you kidding me? It's the word with the who cares how is it spelled? You know, the players know. But it was am- am- amazing how meticulous he was on you game planning somebody and going through that, even the right words and the spelling and this, that, or you missed this guy's alignment or something. I was like, holy crap. And he said, I should have never gave him the sheets, but it helped me as a player or as a coach.
0: Oh, Greg, you've been at a high level coaching now for 20 years. You've been the defensive coordinator of four different NFL teams. Talk about how hard it is today because we're seeing record numbers. You see what Patrick Mahomes is doing and so many other quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers had another unbelievable year. Tom Brady's at 43 doing this. And how much of that is helped by the fact that the rules are slanted towards the offense. Corners can't touch a receiver past five yards. We have all these personal fouls and leading with the helmet and things that protect the offense. How difficult is it to coach defense in this day and age?
2: I should have played offense. That's what I should have <laughs> did. Tell <laughs> so you right? thinking about it. Uh, it, you know the, you know they, in the NFL, they don't want to see nine to six games. They want to see forty-two to thirty-four. You know what I'm saying? Which is, you want to see scores. I mean, that's what you want to see. And in protecting the quarterback, I'm all I'm all for it because yeah, if you have a stud and you have a guy, you'll have success. If you lose that guy, you're not going to be probably in the playoffs. You know, but overall, um, it's, like I tell my wife sometimes, I said, it was like you took two final exams during college, all right, after the game. That's what it felt like. Mentally, you're just so drained as a coordinator that it just, it's hard, you know, trying to take away the fly sweeps or the ghost motions or the empties and the, 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 the four by ones. And, you know, it's just... It's hard, you know, and, and I, I think during the year, I mean, uh, teams wear down, of course, because there's a lot of games in the National Football League. And it, and it really does, you know, if you could protect the players a little bit more from a standpoint of from a rosters coaching them, because you only got so many guys on the roster, you know, and, and, and when they get hurt or a main guy gets hurt. I mean, it affects everybody because you got to change your calls during those times, you know, that somebody does get injured or hurt during the game. And then for, you know, if they get hurt early on, then it it doesn't help you much as a coordinator.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Greg, you mentioned Marty Ball a little earlier, and that kind of brought something up for me that I wanted to ask you about. Do you believe that Marty Ball was the reason that you guys didn't succeed? Like the game plan, playing not to lose, playing it safe, playing it close to the vest was the reason you guys didn't win more in the playoffs, the 95 game, Lynn Elliott and Steve Bono, uh, interceptions, missed field goals, 97 Elvis Gerbach didn't execute down the stretch. And then with the uh, chargers, you have Marlon McCree picking off Tom Brady, then fumbling it right back to him. Nate Kading missing a kick. Was it Marty Ball or was it just not executing? Just if Marty didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck. A lot of people say.
2: Um, And you know, the Marlon McCree thing that killed me. <laughs> I mean, that killed a lot of people, but you know, overall, I think, um, you know, he had success during the year. You know, even when we were in Washington the first year that I was there coaching with him, it was like, hey, man, anybody can win eight games. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, anybody could do that. I was like, oh, okay, this is great, you know, <laughs> but you know, going into it, I think the same game plan. He did. I think you're playing better defenses. You're playing better offense when you're in the playoffs, right? And I think you got to take some chances here and there. And that's just me talking. Now, I could I was a player and of course a coach, but you know, I, I think he kind of, he kind of kept it close to the vest, you know, because that Marty Ball was running the ball and doing it. I think gives you success throughout the year. But I think when you're playing those better defenses and better offenses. You got to change it up a little bit more, you know, and I think maybe that could have been a, the key to maybe having success or making a field goal or whatever it might have been, yeah. you know. But, you know, he did a great job. And and the thing that I, I think Marty, um, just over the years that I've known him and stuff, it was just I was fortunate as a, as a player to play for him. And I was fortunate as a coach to coach for him because he was one of the better ones in the league. And, uh, you know, I I see him as more of a father figure to me. You know, he did a lot for me and my family, and I couldn't ask for anything more.
0: Well, that's absolutely wonderful, Greg. We can't thank you enough for being on with us today. Before we cut you loose, we got to hit you with our fourth and goal. Four quick questions. You give us whatever comes to mind, man, and then we'll get you out of here. Sound good? All right. All right. Biggest transition from coaching in the NFL to now college at the University of Kentucky. What's the biggest transition for you?
2: Formations, mm. different formations, lot into the boundary, FSL formation into the sideline. That is the biggest thing.
1: Yeah, those hashes, man, they'll get you.
2: <laughs>
1: <Ooh>.
2: <laughs> All these guys unbalanced and everybody into the boundary, it'll mess you up a little bit. <laughs>
1: Second of goal here. If this is the last go-around for Drew Brees, just tell us more about the player and man, really quick, that you saw up close during your time with the Chargers.
2: True blue, you know. I think uh, you know he was a guy that bring his lunchbox to work every day and try to get better every day. As players here, I try to you know try to tell them every day you got to get better because somebody else is out there trying to take your job or do whatever you have to do. And that's one thing I think about Breezy, you know, the years that he was, uh, he spent in uh, San Diego and then, you know, with new Orleans, just true blue.
0: Speaking of someone that's true blue, uh, just give us in the one year that you knew uh, coach John Schlarman. Uh, talk about him. What, what was he like? We lost him this year. And yeah. November 12th, you've got to be around him for this year what are some, some phrases that you'd use to, to describe him?
2: I mean, he was just a man that loved coaching, uh, loved his family, loved the Lord, um, did everything the right way. You know, And I, I came at the end of his life and, you know, and it was only here for a year, but I could tell you one thing, the guy worked every day, every day. And it was amazing even seeing him on the couch, um, down in the the locker room, you know, taking a little break here and there, you know, and still going through the struggles that he had, and then just him working every day, you know, what at a craft that he loved to play the game and loved his his the guys that he was working with, you know, it was just it was awesome. It really was. I, I you know, I feel so bad for what happened, and but I could tell you one thing: if you say his name gives me goosebumps, because I know the man that he was, and uh, he was a great one.
1: Well said, Greg. And here's our last one: fourth and goal, we got to punch it in. We've talked about him a lot during this interview. Should Marty Schottenheimer be in the Hall of Fame?
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he had consistent wins across the board uh, from year to year. Didn't have the success that he wanted in the playoffs. The Marlon McCree, damn it. I can still see that every day, yes, you know? And I think that... Well, that was, that was just a. Uh, uh, I hated it, but it is what it is. But yes, he should be in the Hall of Fame.
0: Well, we got to add a fifth down. You know, Missouri and Colorado back in 1990, there was a fifth down that allowed Colorado <laughs> to beat Missouri. It's something that, uh, as my dad talks about to this day, he, he hasn't moved on with his life. So, fifth down for you. We got to add one more because we got Super Bowl 55 is a, uh, you know, 10 days away or so. Who wins? Chiefs versus Buccaneers and how many? Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes wind up with in his career.
2: I think he's going to end up with five. Okay. He's going to end up with five. And I got to go with the Chiefs. All right. Guaranteed. There you That's have it. it. Well hey, done.
0: Coach, it has been such an honor Best of luck down in Kentucky. We'll have to catch up. Uh, I, I, we, we go to Kentucky. Missouri does this year. So we will be in Lexington next year. Hopefully things are kind of more back I'll to normal. And we will come <laughs> down and we will uh, we'll let you pick out your favorite uh, steak place, man. We'll take you out for, for some steak dinner down in Lexington. I know there's some good spots down there, man.
2: Oh, uh, they're great ones. Looking right, forward man. to it.
0: You bet. Congratulations right, on care, the game in Kentucky and best of luck going forward, man. There you go with Greg Minuski. Noah, we went back. To the days of Marty Ball, we went back to his days, you know, coaching around the league, and he really likes the Chiefs coming up here next Sunday, and uh, he's a guy we're going to see again because now he's a defensive control analyst with the Kentucky Wildcats under head coach Mark Stoops. And, uh, you know, as uh, two individuals that cover the Missouri Tigers and the SEC on a daily basis, we're going to be seeing a lot more of our good friend Greg Mineski next year. In fact, the schedule just came out. Missouri plays down there September 11th next next fall so i guess we'll be making plans to get to lexington we've been there before my friend
1: we absolutely have we'll have to get to lexington take him out for a nice steak dinner catch up with greg ask him some more inside questions that we couldn't get to during this interview but man we we kind of hit everything there so we talked about marty he thinks he's hall of fame worthy we talked about some of the playoffs losses and marty ball uh he said some great things true blue about drew Brees and how this may be his last go around as he transitions into being a Fox analyst and uh, probably calling some games there for Fox. So it was great to catch up with Greg. We love hearing the stories. We love talking about Marty, of course, as we made a film about Marty Schottenheimer and met him back in the fall of 2018. So great to hear from Greg. We wish him nothing but the best in Kentucky uh, except for when he plays Mizzou, of course.
0: Well, now that Chiefs fans have another week to sort of digest this, this is the hardest part about making it to a Super Bowl is you have two weeks in between. We've got the Pro Bowl coming up. Nobody's going to be really in tune to that here, at least in the Kansas City area. I might peek in there just to, to see what's going on. I know it's not going to be, you know, the Pro Bowl is sort of a you know redheaded stepchild as it is. And now this year and COVID and I, Chiefs in another Super Bowl, it's really flying flying low under the radar, but what, what can we expect for this next week? I mean, you, you, we talked about last year, the distractions staying away from the distractions is we heard, I think it was Travis Kelsey that said, Hey, anybody in the NFL can walk on a two by four that's on the ground, but not many people can walk on that same two by four when it's 20 feet in the air. And what he means by that is blocking out everything else that is around you and staying focused staying on course and the for the Chiefs are not even going to arrive in Tampa until next Saturday so this is going to be different this isn't going to be the same you know media frenzy that we usually see what's this next week going to look like and and how do Chiefs fans sort of stay on track and how does the team stay on track heading into Tampa
1: well I think it's an advantage for the Chiefs staying home sleeping in their own beds not flying out till Saturday so I don't know where Bruce Arians comes off because he came out this week and said it's a huge advantage for them playing at home when their city is going to be run rampant with fans, activities going on, Super Bowl week happening, media going down there, and they're trying to get to practice and everything, and they're having to deal with all this. I think the advantage is on the Chiefs' end that they get to stay home and and make it like a normal week heading into a road game because that's what this is, a road game going down to Tampa. They get to stay at home. But I think the advantage is all them. They get to stay home, do the Zoom calls, and the Bucs, I mean, they've got all the pressure there. Tom Brady going for his seventh. got to make plays for him. And down the stretch, Tom Brady hasn't played well. I don't care if Pro Football Focus said that he was the number two quarterback all regular season long, the number one quarterback in the postseason after his horrible performance against the Green Bay Packers in the second half with three interceptions. They've been dropping balls. The defense has come up big for them, which has helped them out. But I don't think that offense is flying at all cylinders. So I expect the Chiefs to be able to handle this and look forward to the Zoom calls and all the interviews that you're going to hear from these guys. They're going to be locked in. They're focused. They know how this goes. Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski may know how it goes for the Bucks, but the rest of their team, not so much.
0: Yeah, this is going to be interesting, guys. I'd say take it in. Enjoy what you have here. This is unprecedented, obviously, in this city. And we just have to enjoy every bit of this because what we're experiencing is something that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. Being a franchise now that is really, the, you know, a hunter that has become the hunted and hated amongst national media. You're going to hear the storylines all week. The Chiefs offensive lines in shambles. They can't do this. The the, the, the Bucks are going to be able to get after them. They're going to hold them to 17 points. And Tom Brady's going to ride off into the sunset. Don't listen to it. We heard the same stuff about the Cleveland Browns, about the Buffalo Bills. We've been hearing about it since last year. Guys, this team is so together. It's so solidified. There is This franchise really is the gold standard of success, of leadership. And what we saw that last week when McCole Hardman muffed that punt and you saw the video of of Mahomes and Travis Kelsey bringing him up whenever I was ready to put that guy on the bench and say, don't speak again. Keep that blanket. Keep that coat over your face. Don't show it again. This team, what this has happened here, what Andy Reid has been able to build here, Guys, there's not much like this that we can ever compare this to. And if the Chiefs win this and they win it handily, I'm going to start bringing up the fact that this may be one of the top at least 10 NFL teams of all time, the 2020 Kansas City Chiefs. Let's start that train right now, man.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what they've been able to do going through COVID and being able to be 14-1, and like you said, 14-2 and technically, but uh, all the backups played in that last game against the Los Angeles Chargers, mowing through another postseason like we've grown accustomed to getting to another Super Bowl. And if they're able to knock off Tampa Bay playing in the first ever home Super Bowl for a team, then yeah, they've got to be one of the best of all time.
0: Guys, I hope that you'll go to our website. It is g a s n sports.com. Subscribe to the YouTube because, guys, I'll tell you this. A lot of these interviews, ninety percent of them, we're doing them on Zoom. Our interview with Greg Minuski is up on Zoom. If you want to see the video of that, a lot of times you'll have uh, little snippets of on our Facebook page, you know, little clips from the podcast that we do on video or on our uh, Facebook page. Great American Sports Network. Just search for that, and you will find us on Twitter, Instagram. It's all there. Noah, here we go. We got to prep for our trip to Tampa Bay, and we're going to get ready to do this, my friend. Guys, thanks so much for joining us this week. Come back next week. We may have something even more
2: special for you right here on The Elite.